Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Sumrall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And thank you again for the privilege of sitting down in your home every day and sharing with you the Word of God. A brief time of prayer. Father, we come in Jesus' name. You told us in your word that we are to seek the prosperity of the city in which we dwell, because as it prospers, we too shall prosper. Father, we pray for Manila. We pray for Cebu. We pray for Davao. We pray for Iligan. We pray for Lawag. We pray for the great cities of our land. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that the economies would begin to move again, that people would begin to have hope again, the people would begin to earn well again and not just getting by. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless our land. We've been through the hard times, Lord, in the 80s. We know how difficult those were for people. Lord, you understand economies far better than we do. You know how to spark everything and get it moving again. You had blessed our nation. We were one of the fastest growing economies in the world for how many years? And a whole new generation began to come up that did not know poverty. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, do it again. Bless this land, Father. You've called our nation to be a springboard for missions, a springboard to send the gospel into all of Asia. Father, we can't do that if there's no spring in our board. Lord, we need the finances. We need churches to be prosperous. And the churches cannot be prosperous if the people are not prosperous because they are the church. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, bless your people so that they can be a blessing. Prosper every believer across this nation, Father. Every Christian business across this nation, Father, prosper it in Jesus' name. Cause every intention of every Christian businessman to succeed. Let it be well with them, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, give guidance and wisdom to all of our Christian businesses all across the land. Every Christian businessman, Father, give him wisdom and give him a humble heart, Father. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray for all of our career people, Lord. They work so hard making everything work. The technocrats, Lord, they work so hard. The accountants, the lawyers, the doctors, all of these people work so hard. Father, bless the work of their hands. Lord, prosper them in all that they set their hand to do. Father, we pray for the frontliners today. Sometimes it's easy to forget those that work so hard in the shadows where no one else can see right now because no one's allowed to go in. Father, strengthen them in their souls. They see things that young people should never have to see. They hear words. They hear desperation. They hear the quiet signs of people as they prepare to die and give up. Father, those are hard things to hear. Those are hard things to see. Be the lifter of their heads, Lord. Lift the heads of our doctors. Lift the heads of our nurses all across this land. And Father, strengthen them in their inner being. And give them physical strength, Father. They're working 36-hour shifts. They're, they're doing what they used to do when they were interns and residents. They're doing it all over again, and some of them are a little too old to do that now, Father. Give them strength in their bodies. Strengthen their bodies, Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, as churches begin to reopen now, even if it's just 10%, Father, give the people all across the nation a hunger for your house. Let this be the beginning of an awakening across the land. 
Let this be an awakening in the hearts of those who have pushed away the call. Let that call ring strong in their hearts once again. Some are called to preach. Some are called to serve. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, let this be the beginning. Let this weekend be a spark of the future. Oh, Father, and as people come into your house, oh, as they walk into your house, Father, as we begin to lift our hearts in worship, Jesus, walk among us. Friday night, Lord, Saturday, Sunday, in the parking lots on Saturday morning, walk among us, Jesus. Oh, let people be touched by the presence in a way that, oh, Zoom meetings and video, this is such a poor substitute, but it's all we have. Lord Jesus, walk among us. Touch and heal. Let this weekend be a weekend all across the nation of miracles where people just sit in church without anybody even praying for them and get healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, Jesus, walk among us. Walk among us as the great physician. And let healing flow. Let the new generation see a supernatural touch of the power of God without any notice, without any preacher coming near. Jesus, just walk among us. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Our New Testament passage today picks up with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, some of you have noticed that Sister Bev is doing Isaiah, and I told you the story yesterday why. She says, will everybody like me? I said, oh, sweetheart, they're going to love you. Sister Bev and Isaiah, they're just, they've been joined together since we were in Bible college. She loves the book of Isaiah, so she wants to do this, and I'm, I'm just all happy for her to do it. I, she's, I got this special book that's just the book of Isaiah, special ESV, just the book of Isaiah, put it in a nice little leather cover for her, got her pins all set up, and she's just having a ball. You know Sister Bev's only problem with Isaiah? She's going to have a hard time not teaching her way through it and just going through it devotionally. And when you look at things and you know so much about it, it is so hard. I understand. But you're going to have a great time with Sister Bev and Isaiah. And that she'll, she'll close out every day for this month as we do the book of Isaiah. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Paul said, we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed. So this is our body. And Paul calls it a tent. This that we live in is a temporary dwelling place. And our temporary dwelling place is our earthly home. And one day that temporary dwelling place will be destroyed. I mean, we have to understand that. But Paul says, there's something that we know. He said, this isn't something that we think. This is not a, a spiritual theory. He said, we know. We have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we have a heavenly body. that God has made for us. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Yeah. And you know, young people right now, you, you think heaven's a long way off. But I promise you, the more time you spend with God, the more time you spend in prayer and worship, and, 
enjoying the presence. It's not a thing about getting older. It's, it's a thing of the presence. I, I don't know how to explain it. The more time you spend in the presence, worship and prayer, the more you understand we, we groan in this body because this is just a temporary thing. He said, we long. This, this is our desire. Our desire is to put on that heavenly body. Now, again, this is not a thing about getting older. This is a thing about the presence. The more you, time you spend with God, the more you realize this is not my home. This earth is not my home. This body is not my home. I'm a spirit being. This body is a tent, and I'm looking forward to being out of it and in my heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So in other words, we are a spirit being, and without a body, we are naked. Now, why would he use the word naked? Well, for a lot of reasons. If you're naked, you're embarrassed. <laughs> True? Yeah. But naked also implies that there's a part of you that this is not. That body is something that you have, but you are a spirit and you live with inside a body. For while we are still in this tent, again, notice, we groan. So again, notice Paul said, listen, this, we groan, like all of creation groans to awaiting its redemption. This physical body, this, this physical body that's part of this earthly creation groans awaiting its redemption. Beaten burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. <laughs> mortal. A mortal is swallowed. I like that. By life. I like that. This temporary dwelling place, it will be swallowed up by life. Life is a huge principle. I mean, life is, how do you explain life? I mean, this physical mortal body that is decaying and will die will be swallowed up by life. You just, you just need to, you need to just get a hold of that word life and just understand how big life is. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God. All right, so God has prepared for us this very thing, this, this immortal body, this heavenly body, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Now, how do we know that we have a future in heaven? How do we know that we have a home in heaven? How do we know that we have a heavenly body awaiting us? The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. So we are always of good courage. He said, listen, I'm always encouraged because I know this is not my home. And I know that everything is waiting for me and I have a heavenly body waiting in heaven. We know that, well, and again, here's that word again. We know. We know that while we are, I remember to turn it on this time. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Wow. All right, so when we're at home in our body, when we're living inside of our body right now, we are away from the Lord. So this physical body 
is not a part of heaven. We're away from the Lord. You're not going to take this physical body to heaven. Okay, you got to just get a hold of that. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now there, I have to be careful not to start preaching. So yes, we are of good courage. Now notice this is the second time this is said. So, you know, sometimes you need to highlight these things that are said more than once because he's trying to get a hold of you. He said, we're of good courage. And he said, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He said, I'd rather die. <laughs> he said, I'm looking forward to death. He said, my desire, remember, my desire is to put on my heavenly dwelling place. So you need to tie these two verses together. To be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home in the body or away, we make it our aim to please him. All right. So for all eternity, either in this physical body or in heaven, our aim is to please him. That is our guiding goal in life. I would say guiding goal for eternity. So whether we're now in the body or whether we're dead and we put on our heavenly body and we're with him in, in heaven, it is always our aim. It is my guiding goal for eternity to please him. This is this to me is one of the central verses of understanding the heart of Paul and the desire of a true Christian. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember the Bema seat that we talked about? The Bema seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what has been done in his body, whether good or evil. He said, now listen, you're going to give an account, and this is about rewards. This is not punishment. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. The Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which will take place sometime after the rapture and before the second coming. So during that seven years of the great tribulation, we will stand before the Bema seat of Christ and receive our rewards during these great supper of the Lamb season. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord ever respect for God, respect for God, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your consciousness. Now notice, Paul said, when you respect God, you persuade others. So, a respect for God is required to preach the gospel. Let's not say preach, because then you think that's preachers. Let's say to share the gospel. He said, now, but what we, what we are, he said, what I am, what we are, is known to God. He said, you, you know what, God knows what I am. He said, I know what people say about me, but God knows what I am. And I hope it is also known to your conscience. So Paul said, you know, what you think of me, what people think, what God knows. Now, th th these are two different concepts, and you're going to have to learn them. There's a lot of lies and stuff that's told about men of God and women of God in the world, and 
you know what? Unfortunately, that's just part of life. Paul says, so what we are is known to God. God knows who I am. He said, and I hope, he said, now here's my hope. In this relationship, I hope it is also known to your conscience. He said, because you know what? I'm your spiritual father. He said, so I hope. I hope you figured things out about me. Somebody came to me one time and said, Pastor Summer, did you know this person is saying this, this, and this about you to those people? You should go and defend yourself. And I said, no, no need. They said, oh, you know. I said, no. I said, let me tell you what a, a Pastor Steve Warner, he pastored in Chicago many years ago. He taught me a very interesting truth. This is like when I was in my early 20s. He said, Dave, people believe what they want to believe about you. So if you defend yourself, it's not going to do any good. People have already made up their minds. He said, if they come to church every week and they know you, they choose what they believe. That's very, very true. He said, it's known to your conscience. He said, now in your conscience, you know truth. He said, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but he said, I'm giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance not about what is in the heart. Wow. He said, you know these people who boast about outward. Paul said, what we really should be boasting about is what's in the heart. Now, please, I, I would compare Paul's ministry as far as productivity and accomplishment to any of these people who call themselves super apostles in Corinth. I'm sure, I'm sure if you lived in that day and you looked at what they did and you look at what Paul did, in actual productivity and substance, Paul would have outshined them 10,000 times. But Paul didn't go around bragging about what he did every place. These guys did. So they look like a big deal. They look like a big deal. Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to compete like that. He said, you know what? What you should be boasting about with me is about what's in my heart. What is my heart all about? He said, now that, that's the reality of this. He said, I want to give you cause to boast about me, but not my outward accomplishments. What's in my heart? For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. <laughs> I don't dare get started on that. That's a beautiful Holy Ghost passage. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. Now notice, and that he died for all that we might no longer live for themselves, but for him and for their sake died and was raised. All right, so we no longer live for themselves but for him. Now, I want you to notice something here. Paul said the love of Christ controls us. Not our love for him, his love for us. Now, you need to think about that. Young people, how many times have you not done something just because you know your parents really love you and, and it would hurt them? Yeah, multiply that by infinity. This is why I often tell people, if, if you really want to live a holy life, don't memorize 10,000 religious rules and regulations. Get a face full of Jesus. Just begin to discover, as Paul says, the height, the length, the width, the depth of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Just begin to discover how much God loves you. 
And the more you understand about how much he loves you, that love will control your life from the inside out. And it's not hard to live a holy life because you know how much he loves you. Now, I, I, again, I, this is hard stuff. I could preach on this stuff forever. But this is, a, this is one of the key secrets to a holy life. He said, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, we don't live for ourselves because Jesus died for us. The, the simple statement is, he died for us. We live for him. It's just that simple. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He said, listen, I just used to think about Jesus as, as a man. Just as a human. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. So don't think about the past humanity. Think about the new creation. And here's that phrase, in Christ again. And you need to keep that list going of all the beautiful truths of who we are in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right. Again, this is new creation realities. When we got born again, when we came in Christ, we became a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's just like a beautiful page was turned that was ugly and nasty and dirty. And now there's a brand new, fresh, empty slate. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, all this is from God, I like that, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So we have been reconciled and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, all right? Now, here is a great truth that you need to understand. Every Christian has the ministry of reconciliation. We reconcile man to man, and we reconcile man to God. You don't need to reconcile God to man, because God has no problem with man. God loves man, but we reconcile man to God. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, ambassadors, that means you only speak the right message. The message is determined. An ambassador does not speak his own opinions. We are ambassadors for Christ. We only speak Christ's message. God making his appeal through us. God making, he's appealing to mankind through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, there's that in Christ, We've been preaching about this verse a lot lately. We might become the righteousness of God. Beautiful. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him. Ha-ha, I like that. Oh, I like that. We are partners. 
Now notice, all these verses on partnership. He reconciled who through Christ reconciled himself to us and gave us the ministry. Let me just put a little highlight up here. The ministry of reconciliation um, made his appeal through us is another one. Uh, let's see. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, uh, ambassadors of Christ. All right. Look at all of this about partnership. The ministry is a partnership. We partner with God, working together with him. Look at all these verses on partnership here. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, how do you do this? How do people receive the grace of God in vain? And there are people that do. The grace of God is futile in their life. See, the grace of God, the, the, this motivating, it's really like the motivating character trait of God. When you say, what is the grace of God? I know it says God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a nice alliteration. But when you really want to understand grace, grace is one of the attributes or character traits of God that motivates all he does. Okay. He, and he said, you know, there are times... My grace is given to people in vain. He said, they receive it, and they do receive it. It's not that I held it back. They receive it, but it doesn't do anything. For he says, in the favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Notice twice, now. Now is the season of God's favor. Now, there's lots of applications on this, but can I just, just throw one at you? The season of favor. That is now. God's listening. God listens in the season of favor. We are right now in a season of favor. He, Paul says that. Now is the favorable time. And what is God doing in the favorable time? He said, I listen to you. Oh, beloved, if there was ever a motivation to pray, if there was ever a motivation to spend time on your knees, crying out to God, in the middle of this darkness going on all around us, God still says this is a season of favor. It doesn't matter what the devil's doing doesn't matter what the pandemic is doing. I know what God is doing. God is listening. Just before Sister Bev comes, I've got some good news. We can start having services again, not just drive-ins. Now, two things have occurred. Number one, there has been a lifting of the curfew from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., which gives us back our Friday night service and our Saturday night service. And we are allowed 10% occupancy in our buildings. Now. What we're going to be doing this weekend is having service Friday night. We'll have it in all four campuses. Uh, and I'll preach the same sermon Friday night as I do on Saturday and Sunday. We can get everybody through somehow or as many as can come out. I know the young people still not allowed out and the seniors are still not allowed out, but everybody else can come. So Friday night service. I'll do Saturday morning, 7.30 and 9.30 drive-in at South Campus and at Main Campus. So if you want the drive-in service, we will do two services this weekend, 
Friday, Saturday morning at 7.30 and 9.30 at both campuses, South and Main. And then Saturday night service, I'll be preaching. And then Sunday, uh, we'll start at 7.30 with our campus pastors. I'll be preaching at 10. We'll have campus pastors again at 12.30. And I'll be preaching again at 3 o'clock. So we'll have a lot of hard work this weekend, but we're looking forward to you being in services. And brothers and sisters, you need to be in the house of God. So let's make every effort. Now, those of you who don't feel comfortable being around lots of people, that's why I'm doing two locations, two services each, 7.30 and 9.30, South Campus and Main Campus on Saturday morning. So we want to take care of you. Fortress 91 will continue this week, uh, but that's what we're planning to do. We may make some changes next week, depending on any new guidelines from the government. Now, let's go to Sister Beth. For our Old Testament portion today of our daily devotions, wow, we get some powerful passages to study from the book of Isaiah. Have I mentioned I love the book of Isaiah? And my fear with these passages is that it would take hours to get through what we're supposed to get through in the next 20 minutes. Mm, rich, rich passages. We are going to start with Isaiah chapter 6, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died. So there we have a time marker, and it was of some significance to Isaiah, the fact that Uzziah had died, or else why would he mention it? But definitely we have a definite time when Isaiah had this vision of the Lord, it says, I saw the Lord. Oh, I love that. I saw the Lord. Can you say that? Can you say that you've seen the Lord? And you know what? Isaiah saw the Lord and he lived. Some people think if you see the Lord, you will just die. But he saw the Lord and he lived sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Well, when John in the revelation of Jesus Christ, when he saw the Lord, he also said he saw that there's a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And those of you who know me really well, you know that's one of my life verses because I am so thankful that there is a throne in heaven and there is someone sitting on it and it's not me. I am not responsible to make the world go around. I am not responsible to make everything work out in the end. There is a throne in heaven and someone is sitting on it. And that someone, he never slumbers nor sleeps. He never goes on vacation. He never takes off somewhere and we don't know where he is. There is a throne and there's someone sitting on it, and it is the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe, in other words, the edges, the edge of his robe, the, it's the same edge of his robe that the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch the edge of his robe, I will be healed. That's the same edge of the robe that it's talking about. And what is happening to the edge of his robe? It fills the temple. 
that brings such assurance to me. It is so awesome that his train, the train of his robe fills the temple. Why is that awesome? Because it means I can touch the edge of his robe too. When you are worshiping God, you're in the presence of God. His presence is there. His presence has filled the church, has filled the temple. And we are the temple of God. No, don't forget that. We are the New Testament temple of God. When his presence fills the temple of God, the train of his robe fills the temple. Do you need healing? Just reach out. Where do you need to reach out? Here? Here? here. You don't have to reach far. He's there. His presence is there, filling the temple. The train of his robe is there, just like the woman who said, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I will be healed. And was she healed? Yes, she was. So reach out. You can do it. You can do it because he has made himself so accessible, so present in our lives. God is so good. <laughs> Amen. Now you see why it's really hard just to spend a little time on the book of Isaiah? And then it says in verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Seraph means burning ones, and seraphim, the I am, the im, is the pluralizer. So that's what makes it more than one seraph. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. And starting in verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Powerful. Have people ever had reactions to your voice? <laughs> if you sang, did people look at you and plug their ears? Did people look at you and go, eh, eh, eh. the reaction to this voice? Foundations shaking, the place being filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for." You know that in the presence of his glory, you're going to be made aware if there is any unclean thing in you. It's suddenly when you're in his beautiful presence, and it's not a horrible thing, it's a merciful thing, that when you're in his presence, you're really worshiping God, you're into his word, you're praying, you'll be made aware, oh, there's this thing in my life that's God's mercy. That's so you can deal with it. That's so you can repent and say, God, I don't want this in my life. Open me up and do surgery on me, Lord. Remove this thing 
Take this thing out of my heart, out of my life. I don't want it in me anymore. Cleanse me, wash me. You know you're going to be as white as snow. You're going to be cleansed, washed, clean, sanctified, justified. And I heard the voice of the Lord. So first of all, he sees the Lord. And then he hears the voice of the Lord. Oh, he's having a good day, a good time in the presence of the Lord. You know, when you come to church, <laughs> you need to have a good time in the presence of the Lord. You need to see the Lord. You need to hear the voice of the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. You know how many people say, Lord, here I am. Send her. Send him. Send my child. Lord, I give you my firstborn to serve you. Ah, well, how about you? How about you serving God? How about you holding a Bible study, a connect group, leading your neighbors to the Lord? How about you getting involved with crusades, Zoom outreaches? How about you? Here am I. Send me. And we notice that the sender gives the message. He has that right. And it says, then this is what will be the result when he talks to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it shall be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. You know, I've heard it said, and it's a very good illustration, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the candle. And I actually heard that said of Pharaoh. The same sun, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, yes, but the same sun that hardens the clay melts the candle. I want to be a candle. You know, it all depends on what you're made of. What are you made of? What is, what's the condition of your heart in God's presence? Are you going to harden or are you going to melt? We need to be those people that just melt in the presence of the Lord. Just become moldable. Just become pliable in God's hands. God, do with me whatever you want. Send me wherever you want. Put your words in my mouth and I will speak them, Lord. Needs to be our prayer. Well, Verse, uh, chapter 7, in the days of Ahaz. So first of all, in chapter 6, we had a time marker at the time in the year that King Uzziah died. Now we have another time marker because it's in the days of Ahaz, the son of Joseph, Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Isaiah had a long ministry to a lot of different 
kings within Judah and Jerusalem. Ahaz was a wicked king. He was a very wicked king. But you will notice that Ahaz, though he was a wicked king, he had a godly father and a godly grandfather. And so God was merciful to Ahaz. Actually, God was still showing mercy to the kings of Judah because of David, the the, the generations, to a thousand generations. He's showing his love and mercy. If you love him, your children will be blessed because of you. Hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast in love. Not only will God rescue you and deliver you, but he will show his loving kindness to your children as well. Well, it says, in that time, in the days of Ahaz, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not mount yet an attack against it. Now, we're going to have a story about choosing faith. Choosing faith. Yes, you can. You can choose faith. And that's what this story is about. The house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, imagine if you're the southern kingdom of Judah, how many tribes do you have? Two. How many tribes do they have in the northern kingdom? Ten. And then they're in league with Syria. (laughs) Giants, it seems to you, coming against you. And you feel very small if you're looking at it from your own eyes. And the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Fear is a paralyzer. You know that, right? If you allow yourself to be full of fear, if you start, you have a cough, you have a fever, and so you allow yourself to be full of fear, it paralyzes you. And the world stops as you know it because you're paralyzed by fear. That needs not to be, because we need to see things with God's eyes, not with our own eyes. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. So one of Isaiah's sons is Shear Jashub. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So why would Ahaz be walking around by a conduit, by a waterway, Well, that's very, very important, isn't it, in a time of war? Who controls the waterways? If you can lay siege to a city and you can control the waterways, you can force those people to come out seeking for water. And you can win the day, can't you? So probably he's strategizing, he's thinking about it. And he says, Isaiah is to say to him, be careful. Be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. In other words, these two cigarette butts. So what we have here from God are four instructions and one insult. (laughs) Four instructions and one insult. Yes. Don't go rushing out in your own ideas because... Uh, Ahaz had his ideas. He he was thinking, he was planning already. Oh, maybe I'll contract with 
Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, which was considered a major kingdom at that time, a major power. Maybe I'll contract with Assyria and uh, we can get together and we can, uh, us on the south and them on the north east, and together we can do something about these two. God says, you're worried about these two cigarette butts? Calm down. Don't go rushing into your own ideas. You know, uh, <laughs> it's like the mouse asking the cat for help against two rats. What will be the outcome of that story? The mouse, that's uh, King Ahaz, <laughs> asking help from the cat, that's Assyria, for help against the two rats, that's Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. What is going to be the outcome of that if you're a mouse asking help from a cat? Hmm, the story is not going to end well for you, the mouse. <laughs> you cannot look at things the way God looks, uh, the way we look at things. You have to look at things the way God looks at things. You cannot look in other places in Isaiah. It says, why are you going to Egypt for help? Rahab, the do nothing. I mean, it's not going to help you. So don't rush into these things. Be careful. Be quiet. And uh, it says here, because Syria and e with Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, let's go up against Judah and terrify it. Let, yeah, terrorism, it's a thing. It was a thing then. It's a thing today. It's always been a thing, terrorism. And in your life, you have enemies that want to terrorize you. Let's conquer it for ourselves, they said, and set up the king of Tabil as king in the midst of it. These enemies... They had so counted their chickens before they hatched, as the saying goes, that they were already thinking of who is going to rule over what they had not yet even conquered. Wow, talk about presumption. Talk about counting your chickens before they hatch. Talk about not counting on the fact that the Lord is with his people and the Lord is working victory on behalf of his people, and it is the Lord who decides who gets to reign over nations, and it's the Lord who decides which nations will rise and which nations will fall. Oh, these people, these two cigarette butts, these two nations, these kings, they had it all wrong. And here was Ahaz trembling in fear because of them. Thus says the Lord God. Okay, we need to know what God says. If you have an enemy and sickness might be that enemy, you need to know what God says. You need to know that it is his will that you are in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. You need to know that he sent his word and healed them. You need to know what God says, not what man says, not what your enemy tries to terrorize you with. You need to know what God says. And what did God say? It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. 
If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Another translation says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Do you know without faith, it's impossible to please God? That's what we're told in the book of Hebrews. But faith is a choice. It's just, you don't have to struggle to have, oh, I, I want to have faith, I want to have faith. It's a choice. Just have faith in God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. If God tells you to do something, just do it. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And here comes one of the most famous and most often quoted verses, not only in Isaiah, but the whole Bible. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Well, there was an immediate partial fulfillment, as there often is with these Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah then went and had another child, another son, with his young wife, his young maiden of a wife. But the true fulfillment is Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of a virgin, and his name is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God is with us. What have we read in Psalm 91 over and over and over? I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I will be with him. I am with you. God wants you to know not only the fact, I mean, God is with us, but he wants you to know that he is with us. He wants you to know that he is your God with you and that he is greater than any enemy you could ever face in your life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Receive it. Receive this word from God that God is greater than your enemy and he is Emmanuel. He is with you. All right, this boy, this son, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Uh this thing you're fearing, leave it to God. Give it to God. It's going to be solved. The Lord will bring upon you and your, on your people and upon your father's house such days as has never have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. So since the two kingdoms split, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, God will bring the king of Assyria. God will do this. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. Alliteration, poetry, um, attributing um, 
characteristics to these people that, you know, different animals or birds. So we've got a fly and a bee. It's very poetic. Isaiah is very descriptive. And they will come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rock and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures in that day. So we keep saying, and in that day, in that day. So it's a day that is still to come. The Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria and the head and the hair of the feet. It will sweep away the beard also. Okay, so now not a bee or a fly, but a razor. Different descriptions. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrow, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, for they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. And now verse 8 which leads us, chapter 8 leads us into something powerful. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common letters. See, God always wants to make his message clear for all of us to understand. And what should it say? Belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeburachiah, to attest for me. And then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. All right, here's where we say Isaiah was proud of his wife. He called her the prophetess. He was not in a place where he's insecure about his own ministry, that he has to put his wife down or belittle her, but he was proud of her, and he called her the prophetess. And they had a son called Maher Shalal Hashbaz. One time when I was teaching Isaiah in the Bible college, one of our students actually then had got a new cat, and he named the cat. Hashbaz, after Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Oh, the names in the book of Isaiah. My goodness, don't name your kid Maher Shalal Hashbaz, okay? <laughs> what a mouthful. Before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord said to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently. Don't do that. When the Lord is offering you living water, when the Lord is offering you to lead you by streams of living water and lead you to still water as your good shepherd, don't say, ah, no, Lord, I, ha I have my own plan. <laughs> don't do that. When God has a plan for you, Go with it. It's going to be good. The plans God has for you are good, and they will not harm you. They will bring you good all the days of your life. But the people decided to rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. 
Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory, and it will rise over all of its channels and go over all of its banks. So Assyria is going to not only be a superpower, it's going to start expanding and grabbing up the nations around it. And it will sweep on into Judah and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. That's what Isaiah cried out. It's what you can cry out when you're in trouble. Oh, Emmanuel. Oh, God with me. Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on the armor and be shattered. Strap on the armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Remember that. Call that to mind. God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. This is important for us. Don't walk in the way of the world, of the people around you. Don't just start thinking like the people. Don't speak like the people, because it's not God's words. It's not God's thoughts. It's not God's ways. But learn how God thinks, and you will walk in a different path, believe me. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, north and south. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Or another translation says, I will trust in him. And here is another major theme in the book of Isaiah. We've already seen that justice, social justice, justice for people, so dear to God's heart. Here's another theme that you see over and over in Isaiah. Who do you trust? Who do you look to? Who do your eyes look to? Do your eyes look to, God forbid, your enemies? Do your eyes look to this world? Do your eyes look up to heaven? From whence cometh our help? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I will trust in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. We have to leave it there for today, but we are setting ourselves up here in this beautiful chapter to bring us into some of the most powerful messianic prophecy ever to be given. God bless you as we conclude our Isaiah study 
for today.